Munchausen syndrome by proxy or factitious disorder imposed on another. A mental health condition in which a caregiver created the appearance of a health problem or problems in another person, typically their child. This may include injuring the child or altering test samples. They may present the person as being sick or injured. The behavior occurs without a specific benefit to the caregiver. Permanent injury or death may occur as a result of this disorder. The caregiver makes the dependent person appear mentally or physically ill in order to gain attention. The caregiver systematically misrepresents symptoms, fabricates signs, manipulates laboratory tests, and even purposely harms the dependent. For example, poisoning, suffocation, infection, or physical injury. The most frequently reported problems are those easiest to fake due to them being subjective. The child having a fever the night before is almost impossible to prove or disprove. These symptoms include apnea, anorexia or feeding problems, diarrhea, seizures, cyanosis, behavior issues, asthma, allergies, fevers, failure to thrive, vomiting, bleeding, rash, and infections. Aside from the motive most commonly to gain attention or sympathy or even money, most physical child abuse entails lashing out at a child due to the behavior. But assaults with FDIA or MSBP victims tend to be provoked and planned. Sadly, this form of abuse is unique in the fact that the healthcare providers play an active role unintentionally by enabling the abuse. Healthcare professionals are manipulated into a partnership or child maltreatment. If the caregiver ever feels threatened by the amount of questioning from the physician, they will stop seeing the doctor and begin to doctor shop. Dee Dee Blanchard did all of this and more. A single mom who lived day in and day out fighting for answers for her ailing daughter. Stories of a father who ran out on her and their sickly child played the forefront of some of them. Others played on the empathy of those displaced by Hurricane Katrina, but all of them were after one thing. Materialistic items, money, trips, and more were the endgame for Dee Dee Blanchard and her parade of poor ailing daughter, Gypsy Rose. Not everything is as it seems. Welcome to the True Crime Librarian I'm your librarian and host, Ashley. Tonight, we kick off with a new case, one that is different from most true crime stories. As children, we grew up to believe our moms knew best. If she said we were sick, we were sick. Had to be. If she said we were unruly and difficult to handle, then we were a problem child. If we were a little genius running around, then we were so smart. But what happens when the words and stories your mom tells are the furthest thing from the truth. Who's going to believe a child over none other than their mother? Gypsy was desperate for a normal life, one like her big sister, one that she watched in movies. Her happily ever after was out there somewhere. But first, she had to defeat the villain in her story, just like in the Disney movies she loved so much. Warning, 
This episode contains graphic detail of child abuse, medical procedures, murder, and adult language. Listener's discretion is advised. If you feel any of this may be too much for you, please skip this episode or have someone listen with you or for you. Good evening, all of my true crime nerds. We have just a little bit of housekeeping to do before we get started tonight. Please, if you haven't yet, go follow the True Crime Librarian on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. This is the perfect way to follow the librarian and what is going on with the show along with me as well. Don't forget, tomorrow is the last day to snag that one-year anniversary merch. So head over to the truecrimelibrarian.com and pick that up before time runs out. Don't forget to leave a review, recommendation, or even donate to the show, as all of these help a little show like TTCL stay alive, bringing you the true crime stories you want to hear. Tonight, I'm going to spread some nerd love a little differently. It's going to go out to our fallen soldiers in the Cabal airport attack. Listeners are not. Those were our brothers and sisters over there fighting in situations we could hardly fathom. Red, white, right, left. We feel those losses as a country and keep all of their family in our prayers. Now to what you all came here for, the true crime. Let me start off with this. If I never have to cover another child abuse case in my career as a host of a true crime podcast, I would be absolutely thrilled to death and so very thankful for the people out there whose job it is to protect children from the abuse they have had to endure. Sadly, we're not there yet. So my, my two cents is if you see something, say something. So many kids are neglected and physically and mentally abused and all are terrified that no one will believe them if they try to stand up and say something. And tonight, our case is no different. I want to start off a little bit to kind of educate you on what we're looking at here because this is a huge psychological case, right? This is the case of Gypsy Rose and Dee Dee Blanchard and the big big neon sign here is Munchausen's by proxy or factitious disorder imposed on another. So as mentioned in the introduction, it's a condition in which the caregiver is creating the appearance of a health or a sickly 
riddled child, right? And a lot of times these people will injure their child in order for them to be taken seriously. They will make them sick in order to represent the symptoms of the illness they're trying to get treatment for. And um, sometimes there's no specific benefit to the caregiver. However, in this case, there is. And, and it's just money. It's that thing that makes us all go crazy in life. We all are hunting for it. There seems to never be enough. And we all assume it will create this happy-go-lucky life for us if we could just get to that right number. Same thing for Dee Dee and uh, Gypsy. The only difference is Dee Dee, she suffered from this. And unfortunately, we didn't know that she did until she was no longer here. And then it was like a miracle from above because Gypsy no longer had all of this stuff that Dee Dee kept saying she had. And doctors were even conceding that she did have. That's the problem with a mental illness like this. You can't diagnose it until you remove the, the victim from the caregiver's home and see if those symptoms get better. But we, we live in a very, especially right now, we live in a time where our health is like priority number one. And we have caregivers out there that, that are going to listen to what you say. And they're going to diagnose you with something because that's their job. And nobody wants to look at somebody and say, this is above me, right? I mean, we deal with healthcare professionals who think they know it all. And then we have some that are that are very human and will admit, I have no idea, so we need a specialist, right? For Didi and for Gypsy, it's that characteristic flaw that really allowed this to go on far longer than it ever should. There are some risk factors for developing FDIA or MSBP, whatever you want to call it. Most people are going to know it by Munchausen's by proxy. And those are maybe pregnancy-related complication, child abuse from the caregiver's childhood, or had FDIA or, or Munchausen by proxy imposed on them. They were a victim themselves of this disorder from their caregivers. Like I said, diagnosis is supported in which you remove the child or the victim from the caregiver's care and miraculously things get better. More than 95% of these cases involve the person's mother. We have people out there who have children and they will exploit their child in order to further themselves in life. You know, we, um, we're programmed to be parents. Although some of us, our program gets a little wonky and we don't necessarily make the right decisions as we should as a parent, right? 
you can think back to things that your mom did that you changed when you became a parent. There's things you, you, the way you parented your children that when they have children, they will change. It's a never ending cycle. That is life, right? So we're not perfect. We don't make the right decisions each and every time. However, sometimes you end up with mothers like Dee Dee Blanchard, or you end up with a mother like Pearl Fernandez. You know, these, these people can have children, but having custody is a separate issue. For Dee Dee, things started almost from the moment she was born. Claudine, or Dee Dee Petrie Blanchard, Petrie being her maiden name, she was born May 3rd, 1967 in Day, Louisiana. Let me go ahead and apologize from all of those in the deep south of Louisiana and also pour prayers out to you right now as you're going through Hurricane Ida. But I am not going to pronounce some of these towns in the way that you do. Um, that's because I'm from northern Texas and not down in the bayou. <laughs> so Chag Bay, it's deep in what we know here as Cajun country. It's a small town about an hour, hour and a half outside of New Orleans. Dee Dee's mother, Emma Louise, doted on her youngest daughter. Dee Dee was the youngest of six kids. And many said that whatever Dee Dee wanted, Emma made sure that she got. Whereas her other five children, they, they learned the value of working for things that they wanted. And you can see this is a this is a great example is Dee Dee's family. Because her siblings, they they learned the value of hard work. They learned that if you want it, you go out and you earn it. And Dee Dee it was handed to her and they lead to very different lives. From early on, Dee Dee was deemed special by her mother. Her siblings, they were always sent outside, go play, go do this, you know, go to school. But Dee Dee seemed to be sick more often than the other children. She wasn't allowed to overheat. She suffered from these, these debilitating headaches. There was a list of ailments or a list of excuses whenever somebody said, well, why doesn't Dee Dee have to do this? Emma always had a comeback. So all of this plays a part in the fact that Dee Dee becomes very happy being secluded and being a loner. But she also develops this I don't even know what to call She develops this, it's owed to me attitude. You know what I mean? You've met somebody like that. They, they don't, they put in like two seconds of work and then expect you to hand on the world. It doesn't work like that. And unfortunately, when you, you smother a child in this way, they develop that. And it's really hard for them to grow into an adult and learn the things that they should have been learning from the get-go, and that's, if you want it, you work for it. Dee Dee was also the only child that was allowed to sleep with Emma and Claude. Claude is her father. He went by Anthony, and even he is at fault for some of the treatment that Dee Dee got, because 
Emma seemed to be like, this is my daughter and you are going to do what I ask you to. And I was, there's several documentaries out there, by the way, but um, you can watch HBO's documentary, Mommy, Dead and Dearest or Dearest and Dead. Yeah, um, I watched that several times, but obviously did not remember the title of that. But Discovery Plus has one. It's called Gypsy's Revenge. And if you really kind of want a backstory to who Dee Dee was, that's the documentary to go and watch because there's home videos of Dee Dee when she was a teenager, of her going out and, and just kind of who she was. And you don't get that. Generally, when this, when this true crime story starts, it starts with the birth of Gypsy Rose. But really, if you go back and look at Dee Dee's childhood, you could almost say it started there because she herself was a victim to this, but not at the extreme level that Gypsy was. So with, with Dee Dee getting everything she wanted, she was pretty much carefree. I mean, she was a cute girl, don't get me wrong. She had some dark, curly, you could call it unruly sometimes, but it fit her. Like, Dee Dee was, if she would have had straight hair, it would have thrown me because she was born to be somebody with these beautiful, luscious curls. But there's more to her than what meant the eye. Like I said, she got away with whatever she wanted to at home with her mom. And this developed into something she expected to get everywhere. She was no stranger to taking what she felt she was owed. And if that meant she took from her siblings, she did. If she took from somebody outside the family, she did. After Dee Dee graduated high school, she started taking a, some college courses. She was going to become a nurse. And like I, this is going to help Dee Dee later when it comes to Gypsy and uh, everything that is wrong with her physically. Dee Dee also has a problem that started before. Well, it started early in Gypsy's life because Dee Dee probably tested out her limits of Munchausen's by proxy with her mother and then her stepmother before perfecting it with Gypsy Rose. In 1990, somewhere in the mid-90s, Dee Dee and some friends decided they were going to go out to a local, local bowling alley. And it's either to bowl or there was a band playing that night. And maybe they were just there to kind of see the band. There that night as well was Rob Blanchard. Rob remembers seeing Dee Dee. He said she was different. He could tell she was older than him, but something different about her caught his eyes and the two struck up conversation. They ended up swapping phone numbers. And at this point, Rod is 17 and Dee Dee is 23. The two dated for a little while before Dee Dee went to Rob, I would say sometime late November, early December. By this time, he's very close to his 18th birthday and she tells him she's pregnant with their child. Now, Rod was raised like most of us in the South during the 90s. If you get a girl pregnant, you go get married. Some people call it a shotgun wedding. This wasn't that. This was Rod had that instilled in him to be that kind of a man, to take on the responsibilities and, and deal with the consequences of the things he caused. So naturally, it went to marriage. 
When Dee Dee and Rod got married, he wore an all-white tux. She wore this beautiful white dress. Her dark curls were in the perfect position, and she had this V widow peak style headband that attached to her veil, and it just set ever so. She looked happy, and Rod honestly looked happy as well. If you'd have told me those two people ended up divorced, I would be kind of shocked if I knew nothing else about them. And Rod says, you know, Dee Dee, she was the perfect Southern wife. She wanted their family more than anything. But for Rod, there was something missing. He should have these feelings for his spouse. And he didn't. So about three, ma- three months into the marriage, right there around his 18th birthday, Rod told her, I don't. We shouldn't be married. We got married for the wrong reasons. I I promise to be there for our child. I'll be there for you. I will help with pay child support, alimony. I'll cover the medical expenses and I'll carry medical insurance. Whatever it is, I I will take care of it because this is something I did, right? So he's manning up. Even though he can't physically keep himself in the relationship, He wants to be there as a father in every way possible. And from the point of view from Rod, there never really seemed to be any animosity between Dee Dee and him. Except that maybe the reason Dee Dee controlled their visits was because she never truly healed from their failed marriage. Or she never really wanted Rod to have a moment to take Gypsy anywhere and have all of it disproven. That's also a possibility as to why she just didn't trust him with Gypsy alone. Didier did move back in with her parents back in Chack Bay. And on July 27th of 1991, Gypsy Rose Blanchard came into the world. Didi claimed she was months premature, but I wouldn't say she was more than a few weeks, if, if that premature, because Gypsy was just a beautiful, healthy baby. She... She was so cute. Dee Dee really loved the name Gypsy. And so that's where her first name come from. And then Rod had a special place for Guns and Roses. And that's where Rose came from. Like I said, Gypsy was a beautiful, healthy baby. She had these big, gorgeous brown eyes. Her aunt dubbed her Possum. And it's so cute because she kind of did look like a little Possum. If you look at a, 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 you know, infancy photo of Gypsy and look at a picture of Gypsy now, she still has that extremely adorable look to her and it's in her eyes. You can tell that she is genuinely a good person and she loves to smile and you can see the happiness that she exuberates her entire life. She has a different outlook on life, I'll tell you. And after everything she's been through, it's hard to believe she still has that outlook. If Gypsy couldn't be with her mother, if Dee Dee couldn't be there with her child for every moment of the day, then she left her with Emma and Anthony, Dee Dee's parents. Rod was never trusted with his own daughter, not for an hour, not for 30 minutes, not for long. Dee Dee or Emma or Anthony was always there. If Rod was around, somebody was there to supervise. It's around this time that Emma, 
Didi's mom, her health kind of takes a turn. And Anthony, from what I can tell, is still working. And with Didi being home taking care of Gypsy, it was just natural to pick up the care of her mother. And I would say she, this is the point where she slowly starts that slide into Munchausen syndrome. It engulfs her and unfortunately engulfs the future for Gypsy. Emma is slowly starved to death by Dee Dee, which is really hard to hear knowing how much Emma doted on Dee Dee early in life. And then for Dee Dee to turn around and this is the repayment, it's kind of hard to hear. Brothers and sisters of Dee Dee said that when Emma did finally succumb to the starvation and passed away, Dee Dee took her mother's death kind of hard. And I can see this because her mother provides that constant attention that was just given to her from the moment she was born. And by the time she got to this point where she's a mother herself, she has to have that attention in order to have a great day, in order to take the next breath. It has instilled with her so deep that it's part of her characteristics. And so now that Emma's gone, Dee Dee didn't have it. And she really wasn't getting it from anyone else. I mean, you know, her marriage had failed with Rod. Her brothers and sisters, they're older, they're married, they're off doing their own life. Her dad is probably sinking himself into work after the loss of his wife. There's nobody there to offer that to Dee Dee. And she's got to figure out how to get it somewhere else. Problems with Gypsy and her health also started around this time. Now, it start well, I guess you could say it started when she was born because Dee Dee said, oh, she was months premature. Really, she might have been a couple weeks. But Rod was told very, very early on, right around the time Gypsy was born, she had developed a chromosome disorder. The details of this illness are very unclear in Gypsy's medical history. And with it being such a broad definition, there's no telling what kind of chromosome disorder Gypsy or Dee Dee had in mind. I mean, you could go from anything from cystic fibrosis to autism to Down syndrome. The list is endless. But this is the start of the extensive medical history of Gypsy Rose. Next, Gypsy had developed sleep apnea, according to Dee Dee. She told Rod that Gypsy had stopped breathing a couple times during the night. And remember back to the intro when I said that apnea was one of those most common symptoms or common diseases that is used in FDIA or MSBP because it's so subjective. Because you can take a person in and say they have sleep apnea. Well, obviously, they're not sleeping at that time that you take them to the doctor's office. So it's not observed. And it, and there are sleep clinics where you go to now and you they monitor how you sleep the entire night. And they can mark when you have these apnea episodes. But it's really hard with an infant. Um, and sleep sleep studies on them are very rarely done. So it, you know, at this point, 
something has to happen because we can't let this this infant continue to have these periods where they're not breathing. So let's get a heart monitor on this. That'll kind of show us if there's an incline or there's, you know, widening of the heartbeats. There's something for us to measure and we can start treating this apnea. So Dee Dee told Rod that Gypsy was going to wear a heart monitor while she slept and eventually Gypsy would have to wear a CPAP machine. And if you don't know what that is, it's, it's a machine that forces oxygen into your lungs. You have these moments. So sleep apnea is you literally don't take a breath for over 30 seconds. So the machine will pump oxygen into your nose. There's several different out there, but most common is the nose. And it pumps it in, inflates your lungs when your body doesn't send the signal out to take a breath in. So Gypsy, she eventually has to wear one of these. And she later will say that her breathing got worse when she had to wear the machine. And that's because a CPAP machine, one that forces that into, it's not always at the rhythm that your brain is sending that signal out to take a breath, right? So if you're exhaling and that machine's trying to pump oxygen into you and you have very normal functioning lungs, it can be very detrimental to the health. Once Emma passes, it, it's Gypsy is the only person that needs to be taken care of at this time. And it's around this time Dee Dee begins getting caught up in some of her run-ins with the law. She's no stranger to being arrested. Let me just start there. Dee Dee didn't go from a, a law-abiding citizen to this super fraudulent woman overnight, right? We don't typically see a person who didn't never had a criminal history. All of a sudden, they commit the most heinous act they could, right? Typically, there's like a crescendo to it. So Aditi, she had some, some fraudulent charges in her history. She was picked up for petty theft more than once. She was picked up for credit card fraud more than once. She is known to open credit cards in Emma's name throughout her entire life. Long after her mother is gone, credit cards were being opened in her name and the bills were being skyrocketed. And then Dee Dee wouldn't pay them, obviously. She was also picked up for writing bad checks. Well, nowadays, you can't write a check that you don't have money in the bank for because literally that thing is probably being, it's just like a debit card. You swipe the debit card. If you've got money, it goes through. If you don't, it doesn't. Checks are that way now because of this instant communication thanks to the internet. But back then, it took, what, five to seven business days for your check to clear from the bank of the, the store that you went to and shopped at to the bank that you bank at with a check and go, oh, they don't have any money. So... Back then, it, it took a little longer to figure out these people running around writing these bad checks, and Dee Dee was one of them. Her father marries Dee Dee's stepmother, Laura, and Laura plays a big part in this story as well. 
it's not clear as to what led Laura needing to be under Didi's care, but at some point she does. And the family believes it's fairly early on when Didi picks up caring for Laura that she begins to poison her stepmother with Roundup Weep Killer. Roundup has been a huge name in some of these big litigations with companies using cancerous materials to make their product. Roundup is one of those. And so it took no time at all to really just eventually make Laura completely 100% bedridden. She couldn't get up. She couldn't bear her own weight. She couldn't have just typical function of her bladder, of her, just, she didn't have that control that most people did. There was a huge ailing going on here and, and you, you look and you go, okay, well, you went down with the flu and now you, you can't walk and you can barely talk and, you know, you might be having a stroke or you might have Bell's palsy. Like, there's so many different symptoms that Laura was presenting. And so it was really hard to figure out and, and just pinpoint she's putting Roundup in it, you know. So this continues on and I would say that she's not giving too, too much so that she doesn't elicit any of those bright-eyed neon signs saying I'm being poisoned. So it's a slow process. Well, eventually Dee Dee and Gypsy, they have to move and they move out of the home of Anthony and Laura. And it's funny because Laura regains her strength. She eventually comes back to some sort of normalcy, but Roundup had a very lasting effect on Laura. And sadly, she passed away in 2018. And the family of Dee Dee believe that the, the slow poisoning using the Roundup eventually took her life. So I'm going to throw out a little bit of a warning right here. We're going to go into talking about Gypsy Rose and her medical history. Let me just make note. We do, for those of you who do not know, like the bare bones of this case, each of these ailments are of Dee Dee's mind and her recollection of Gypsy's history. But like I said, things are not as they seem. Dee Dee ends up moving her and Gypsy to Thibodeau, and this puts a little bit of distance between Dee Dee and Rod, making it harder for Rod to get time to spend with Gypsy. He would drive and go see his daughter. It didn't matter. If Dee Dee said, yeah, you can see her, Rod was there. And he tried to get as much time with her as he could. And Dee Dee seemingly looked and presented like, whatever you want, you can do. You want to call her, that's fine. You want to come see her, that's fine. But really, she plotted this to make it look like she was the one that was always giving him what he wanted. But in actuality, she was making it very difficult for him to have a relationship with his daughter. Rod would continue to get more updates about Gypsy and her health. She was in a small motorcycle accident when she was around five or so with her grandfather. And it literally caused a scrape to Gypsy's knee. From that point on, Gypsy was wheelchair bound. Gypsy later says in interviews that 
Her mother was making her walk with a walker prior to that accident, and it was apparently because Gypsy was losing her balance and her capability to carry her own weight was slowly diminishing. Gypsy began having seizures around the age of four to six years old. So right around the time we're getting wheelchair bound, all of a sudden she's got these epileptic seizures going on. This would cause the muscles in her eye to weaken and give the appearance of a lazy eye. Now Rod was told with each seizure that she had, it was knocking her back a year or two mentally. So we're already planting that she's mentally incompetent and if she makes any claims of abuse, nobody's going to take her seriously because she's mildly, you know, mentally handicapped. This also made it very hard for Gypsy to trust anyone out of fear that they would just chalk it up to her being mentally disabled. Testing began happening with Gypsy at rapid pace at this point. She was having scans, she was having blood work, she was having unnecessary biopsies, all to prove or disprove, depending on how you look at it, because really every single test came back normal, that the ailments that Gypsy had, according to Dee Dee. So they were testing her for everything under the sun. She had multiple mu muscle biopsies, and if you haven't ever had one, I looked it up to kind of see what the procedure was. It is a very painful procedure, one that you are not sedated for. So there's just general, general like topical kind of numbing that occurs, and that's it. Gypsy began wearing her signature big glasses due to these eye problems she was having with each seizure. Around the same time that she was placed in the wheelchair, she also had a feeding tube inserted into her stomach. As to why it was placed, there are conflicting reports. Some sources are saying that it was due to her muscular dystrophy, which is what caused her to have most of these procedures happening at this point, because Dee Dee was certain that her child had muscular dystrophy, and that was why she needed the wheelchair and the walker. This could be the same thing. If she did have muscular dystrophy, most of those most of those patients end up with a feeding tube because that is all muscular in order to take food from your mouth to your stomach. There's some reports that say that her stomach lining had twisted due to reflux, and this was another thing that Dee Dee said that Gypsy had wrong with her. She had this acid reflux. She was constantly vomiting because if you laid her flat, it, just whatever she had in her stomach would just come back up. Another says that given Dee Dee's history with her own mother, Emma, and her slow poisoning of her stepmother, Laura, Gypsy having a feeding tube in her stomach is terrifying. Everything, and I mean everything, all the medications, all the, the protein shakes, the smoothies, all of that went into her feeding tube. Very rarely was Gypsy allowed to eat anything like a normal person. Dee Dee was adamant, we, we need a feeding tube, we're sticking to it. So with, with her history, with those two mother figures in her life, I am absolutely terrified to, to learn what she could have or might have put into Gypsy's feeding tube. 
Soon, Dee Dee and Gypsy would have to move even further away from Gypsy's dad, and they moved into New Orleans. This is because they needed to be closer to the specialized doctors, to these children's hospitals that catered to, to patients like Gypsy. But more importantly, this allowed Dee Dee to switch providers whenever she felt like anyone was questioning what she was saying. Gypsy was not allowed to talk during these visits. And at this point, she's still relatively young. So a lot of doctors will turn to the parent in order to get a clear understanding of what is going on. At this point, the rate at which Gypsy is having procedures done is astronomically fast. Dee Dee's still on this. She has muscular dystrophy. She's now on to, she has leukemia. We have this acid reflux going on. We have so much occurring at a rapid rate with, with Gypsy. It's really kind of hard to kind of pinpoint when these ailments came along. Gypsy had her salivary glands removed because she drooled too much. She still does have some because the body still needs the enzymes that come from your spit in order to break down food and in order to keep uh, dental caries away. So not all of her salivary glands were removed, but most of them were. And Gypsy can tell you, Dee Dee would rub this numbing gel on her gums prior to going to the doctor's. And then she would come in and she's drooling all over the place and it only sells Dee Dee's story more. The combination between having those salivary glands removed and the Tegretol she had to be on in order to control her, her epileptic seizures, Gypsy's teeth are starting to be the price to pay. And they're literally crumbling out of her mouth. Around nine or ten years old, Dee Dee began shaving Gypsy's head. The, the talk of leukemia had already come up between Dee Dee and providers. And I'm not really sure if at this point she had told Rod just yet or if she waited until this very abnormal change in appearance was recognized. So she told Gypsy, you know, you have leukemia, you have cancer, and the medication that you're giving us to treat the cancer is going to make your hair fall out. So we're going to keep it shaved so that it's always nice and neat. So what kid is going to defy their mother? You know, if you're told you have cancer by the person who takes care of you, do you question it? No. It, you know... You don't because, first of all, that is probably the number one fear in a lot of people is being diagnosed with cancer and having to fight that fight because we watch so many people fight it and we watch so many people who enter into remission, but just as many lose their battle. And that's terrifying for most people. And when you're nine or 10 years old and you're being told you have cancer, the possibility of having this long life ahead of you suddenly is yanked and fear replaces all of that. So now we've got cancer. We have muscular dystrophy. We have cancer. We have GI reflux. We have sleep apnea. Stop me when I've overgone too much. This poor child has had so much reported wrong with her at this point. You just like... You, 
there's no other word out there for it right now than torture. That's literally what is going on. In order to prove that Didi's right and to get the sympathy from, you know, the, the nurses, the office staff, the doctors, charities, whatever, in order to obtain all of that, you have to make this lie believable. It's exhausting for Didi, I can imagine, but it's also exhausting for Gypsy because she's not allowed to ask questions. And at nine or 10 years old, you have that capability of forming questions that that are legitimate questions. Like, am I going to die? You know, what, what are we, what do you mean you're treating it? They can understand the simplistic of chemotherapy and radiation therapy. But for, for Gypsy, she was instructed, you don't talk. I do the talking. You sit there, you play with your doll, and me and the doctor are going to have a conversation. Well, August of August 29th, 16 years ago, in 2005, Hurricane Katrina devastated Louisiana. Dee Dee and Gypsy were living in New Orleans at the time, and they lost their home. And according to Dee Dee, they also lost all of Gypsy's medical records. Hurricane Katrina is one of the most devastating hurricanes to rage against the Gulf of Mexico and on the American coastline. It created over $125 billion in damages. It was marked Category 3 when it made landfall, like I said, 16 years ago today. This is a horrendous natural disaster, but it provided even more fuel for Dee Dee when it came to Gypsy and her ailments. With the level of devastation it created within New Orleans and the tiny neighboring towns, Didi was able to persuade new medical professionals that Gypsy had each and every disease listed in her history. Because there's no medical records to prove or disprove these claims because anything and everything was washed away in the devastation. Well, just a few days later, Didi and Gypsy, they are relocated to Missouri, which is now 11 hours away from Rod Blanchard. And at this point, he's only able to communicate with his daughter, who is 14 years old at this point, by telephone. The medical abuse, it ramped up from here. Being away from all of those who knew Dee Dee and what she was capable of just made things easier. Medications by the dozens were being prescribed to Gypsy most of which would keep Gypsy in this medicated, sedated state. This worked for Dee Dee because she was able to control the situations at doctor visits and hospital stays. The only thing said were the things that Dee Dee wanted people to hear. If Gypsy was able to speak in any one of the numerous interviews that she had given since moving to Missouri, Dee Dee had Gypsy's hand in hers. Sweet, loving, the mother's love so strong and relentless, love seemingly uncomparable. No, this was Dee Dee's way to keep Gypsy on the scripted lines and everything in check. If Gypsy said or even implicated anything different than what Dee Dee had told her to say, Dee Dee bared down on Gypsy's fingers and you would see the child's mouth falter and soon her turn talking would end almost immediately. 
the physical abuse was starting, if not already. Like I said, Gypsy's 14. It's not clear that she knows she's that old. She may only believe she's 10 or 11 at this time because Dee Dee had begun altering Gypsy's birth records and her social security card, her birth certificate, sometimes read 1991, other times it read 1995. This was just to keep Gypsy under her thumb even longer, really, because as long as she's under the age of 18 or seemingly under the age of 18, Didi makes the decisions, right? So the physical abuse, the accounts, the dates, it's harder to pin down in this case because the only two that could really put a timeline to the abuse are Gypsy and her mother. Well, Didi's gone. We only have what we have due to interview, due to interviews, documentaries, things that her father has actively sought out and and corrected since rekindling his relationship with his daughter after her arrest. If Gypsy didn't do like she was supposed to during doctor visits, either by saying or doing something wrong, maybe even not presenting the right symptoms for the disease. Dee Dee's trying to convince the doctors of, Gypsy was going to pay for it, either on the way home by a constant onslaught of emotional abuse, or when they were behind closed doors and she's being hit and slapped and probably told something along the lines of, why are you doing this to me? All I'm trying to do is get you care that you need, and you're doing everything you can to mess it up. Don't you realize how tiring this is? Don't you realize how hard I'm working? I've been looking at several different cases where Munchausen syndrome by proxy is the leading cause of abuse. And this dialogue is spewed at the victims time and time again. A selfless mother or caretaker just trying to get care for their sickly child. And they're tired of always being the one to fight the fights and no one is even there to help them, not even the victim themselves. It is detrimental to self-esteem in the victim. Makes them feel like they're doing everything wrong, that, you know, their caregiver, their mother is right. I'm sick. Why can't I just show the doctor how sick I am and help her? You know, there's the promise I'll do better next time. I'll be a good girl at the next visit. You know, you just, you read so many of these stories and you try to put yourself in that situation. I couldn't imagine the level of mental abuse going on 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 top of the torture with the medical procedures and the testing and everything in between the medication it's making you feel sick all the time and now you're you know your mother your caregiver whatever they're yelling at you because you can't even simply be sick right you just it just knocks you down several pegs each time it occurs not just the first time each time it occurs you know there's the promise I'll do better promise I will be a good girl but in their head they are now bullying themselves because they're not you know doing what they should be doing 
And maybe, you know, with the release of Gypsy in the next few years, we will see and hear more of her account of everything that she went through in a book that is rumored to be in the process of being written by, by Gypsy and waiting to be released once she stands on the other side of that chain link fence. And maybe we will get a better understanding of this story. The only thing is, I think the that we are just going to feel like the justice system failed Gypsy even more than we do knowing what we know. In 2007, Dee Dee took Gypsy to a pediatric neurologist, Dr. Flasterstein, and he is highly important to the story. Gypsy assumed the normal routine inside of the appointment with the neurologist. You know, they were there trying to continue the treatment for Gypsy's muscular dystrophy. They're now in a new state, in a new area. Hurricane Katrina that took all of our our history and our paperwork away. This is what they were prescribing for her. This is what they were recommending we do. I'm just here to get you to sign off on that, right? Well, Dr. Flasterstein, he sees something different. In his notes, he marks that Dee Dee isn't a very good historian. He notes that Gypsy's legs are not showing the muscular atrophy you would see in a patient who has no use of their legs. And he literally writes in the chart, suspect of Munchausen's by proxy. Dee Dee was very quick to pick up on Dr. Flasterstein and, and him not believing what she was telling him. She submitted in writing for a copy of his notes and, and everything that was taken during Gypsy's visits. And once she got them and saw that he suspected this, she knew she was right. Didi and Gypsy never went back to see Dr. Flasterstein again. At this point, the duty that is on that doctor, he was the only doctor as of right now that we know of that hit the nail right on the head with Didi and Gypsy. He had a duty to his patient, which was Gypsy, not Didi to file a report with the proper authorities and have the home life of Gypsy investigated. So much could have been avoided had he done what he was supposed to do. And we go back to that oath that we talked about with the Amanda Winkowski's case and the ME. Gypsy could be living a completely and totally different life at this point had he done not only the right thing, but the thing that was his obligation. Now, in interviews with Dr. Flasterstein, he says that his obligation was to provide the pediatrician of his suspicions. And from there, it was on that doctor. It's really hard to get any traction when you're saying, so-and-so told me so-and-so is doing this. <clears throat> right? So how is it that the pediatrician could see the notes taken by Dr. Flasterstein, see his, you know, assumption of the situation, and then they make the report. He was still the physician who was being sought out to treat Gypsy. And the moment he questioned Dee Dee, it fell apart. In 2007, after maybe right before this visit with Dr. Flasterstein, Gypsy was named Child of the Year by the Olay Foundation. 
She was given this honor due to her outlook on everything. She was plagued with illness, and yet this young girl had such a positive outlook on life. They wrote, Gypsy Rose Blanchard is 12 years old, yet one of her friends says she has wisdom and compassion beyond her years. Multiple health issues don't stop Gypsy from encouraging and uplifting others. Before Hurricane Katrina caused Gypsy and her mother to relocate, Gypsy would talk at a university in New Orleans on why we should help and love one another. End quote. This goes back to Dee Dee and what she wanted by being a caregiver and having this disease, this mental disorder. Due to everything that Dee Dee claimed was wrong with her daughter, Gypsy, they were showered with gifts. They obtained money, not only from Rod, but from organizations around the world. When Gypsy and her mom moved to Missouri, Habitat for Humanity found them a home, repaired it, and in some areas remodeled the home to fit Gypsy and her needs. There was a wheelchair ramp added so Gypsy could go in and out of her home without assistance. The light switches were lower and made more handicapable for her. Their bathroom had a whirlpool tub for Gypsy so she could use hydrotherapy for her muscles. The sinks in the kitchen were much larger than your standard sink for when Gypsy needed to be bathed in the sink. Doorways widened to make room for any one of the three wheelchairs Gypsy had in her possession and could use at any given time. Gypsy and Dee Dee attended concerts with special passes allowing them to meet performers like Miranda Lambert. Gypsy was able to meet Miranda through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Dee Dee was very smart when it came to portraying this devoted single mother with a sick child. At some point, you could say that this turns into malingering with FDIA or MSBP. Dee Dee never seemed to work, but somehow the family had the means to go and do and do and do some more. Dee Dee, she had been known to set up movie showings in her home, complete with a personal concession stand. She would charge people to come and watch a movie and, and purchase some food from the concession stand, all as a way to raise money to pay for some of the medicines, procedures, and mounting bills she claimed to have. Here's the thing. <laughs> Dee Dee received not only $1,200 a month from Rod, Every month of Gypsy's life up until Dee Dee died. She also got governmental assistance that included food stamps, disability checks, social security checks, all because Gypsy needed around-the-clock care and, and Dee Dee was going to do it. It's even said that after meeting with Miranda Lambert, she and another unnamed celebrity, or maybe more, gave Dee Dee and Gypsy money. The depth of how far this fraud really goes could only be known by one person, and that person's dead. All of these scams were just that as Gypsy had all of her medical procedures covered by Medicaid, governmental health insurance. Nothing. Rod didn't need to pay special you know, medical bills. He didn't need to pay as much as he did every month. He, you know, there didn't, there were these charities that were helping them didn't need to help them. These, you know, fundraisers didn't need to happen. 
because they receive governmental health insurance. And if you don't know, that is kind of like your free pass to be a sick person. They cover everything because you are below the poverty line or below the set poverty line to obtain this health insurance. And that means that you obviously cannot afford the health care that you need to have. So we're just going to pay for it for you, right? To put the cherry on top of all of this, Didi is continuing to use her mother, Emma, in credit card fraud and continuing to open credit cards in her name and racking up more debt. So on top of all of this, she's got to be the most lucrative unemployed person to ever walk the face of this earth. You know, she started with nothing. And by the time she was murdered, she had more in life than most people who work day in, day out to the day they die. It's just shocking to see what these two were able to obtain, all because Gypsy was sick. Some say that when Dee Dee could, she would make donations to charities. I can only say that this may come from an area where if she can throw people off of her, of speculating or questioning Dee Dee and Gypsy and the illnesses, then she was going to do it. And this may be one of those. It's just a smart play in a long game of chess. If I give money back to the very people who I've taken money from when I have some extra, then nobody will ever question me. They'll be like, oh my gosh, you're so selfless. You don't have that much money. You shouldn't make this donation. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. You don't question a person giving, right? You don't ask their motives for why they're giving the money. And for somebody who has nothing, for them to give you something, you really don't question where it came from. So all of this goes back to help Didi keep manipulating people into thinking that the Blanchards are some selfless people. Despite their need, they always seem to be able to give back. In reality, Didi had different areas where she stashed cash, mostly from the child support coming in from Rod, some from the money Didi had given, been given to help out with medical bills that she didn't have to pay because they had Medicaid. In 2011, Gypsy and her mother attend Comic-Con. If you know or have seen pictures of Gypsy, she has several photographs out there of her dressed up. Gypsy loved to don a costume. If she could, she would. <laughs> so going to something like Comic-Con where other people are, they're in the same, I, I want to dress up, I want this fantasy for just a little bit, even if it's just a couple hours a day, let's go for it, right? So this is no different. Gypsy at this point is 19, almost 20 years old. We're at 2011. She was born 1991. This is prior to her birthday that they go to the Comic-Con event. Dee Dee has changed her birthday so many daggum times. Gypsy didn't realize that she was over the legal age to make her own decisions in life. Dee Dee had effectively manipulated her very own daughter. 
Gypsy started looking for answers. She had met a girl around her age when they first moved to Missouri and into the home uh, from Habitat from Humanity. Even though Dee Dee was telling everybody that Gypsy was several years younger and, and even younger mentally. And she was seeing a level of freedom that she hadn't really recognized before. Now there's this whole world out there for her. She could have friends, maybe meet someone, fall in love, get married, have children, have that American dream, right? There had to be more than just sterilized doctor's office, hospitals, and empty procedure rooms. Gypsy began asking Dee Dee for different things at this point to kind of get her closer to that freedom. And this was occurring prior to the Comic-Con. I'm going back just a little bit before because Gypsy's starting to pick up on some of this, you know. So she asked, you know, can we do physical therapy for my legs so that I could walk better? She knew she could walk and she would walk when her mother wasn't around. And she was hoping if she went through physical therapy, she could get away from using the wheelchair and she would be more independent. She asked if she could have her feeding tube removed. Again, Gypsy knew she could eat. There was nothing wrong other than she had some dental issues due to the medication she was on. But other than that, she knew she could eat food. She wasn't really allergic to anything. Although Dee Dee said she was allergic to everything under the freaking sun. She probably ate a lot of that stuff she was allergic to when her mother wasn't around. All of these options, every resolution Gypsy provided came that would give her a possibility of some independence were shot down by Dee Dee. The other issue we have here is Gypsy's running across some old health records, health insurance cards. And just before Comic-Con, she found a Medicaid card that had her birth date on it, and it had the year 1991. Gypsy believed her birthday was in 1995. So she is now four years older than she originally thought, and from what Dee Dee tells everybody else she is. This was enough for Gypsy to decide to do something drastic. At Comic-Con, Gypsy had met a guy who was older, and, he, and for whatever reason, Gypsy just felt that she could trust him with her most private secret. Gypsy had figured out she was being abused, but to what degree she really didn't understand. Gypsy was being tortured for the sake of money, attention, and empathy for her mother. Gypsy told him what's going on at home and that she wanted to run away. The man told her she could come stay with him. Now, whether there was a promise to protect her or to help her in some way, that's not clear. But the night after confessing this, she packed a few things and that she knew she would need the most and the insurance card showing her real birthday, called a cab and took off. The guy who she confided in didn't have his own place. He was staying with some friends. Those friends knew Dee Dee. And within four hours of Gypsy running away from home, Dee Dee was there at the house telling this 36-year-old man that her daughter, Gypsy, was only 15. Well, out of the fact that she's not a legal age, 
per her mother, which why would her mother lie about that? I could see why Gypsy would lie, but, you know, make myself older so I can do all these things that I want to do now instead of waiting. Kids do that. They're known to do that, to purchase alcohol, to, to purchase tobacco, whatever. So he quickly relinquishes and Gypsy goes home. And she's met with one of the harshest disciplines of her years yet. Dee Dee took Gypsy's laptop. She smashed it with a hammer, followed by a phone, I do believe. Then she told Gypsy, if you ever do anything like that again, I'm going to use the hammer and smash your fingers. Gypsy was handcuffed. And between the handcuffs and a dog leash, essentially, she ended up tied to her bed. Gypsy wouldn't be allowed to get up and go to the bathroom. She'd be untied, go to the bathroom, you use the restroom, do your business, and you're going to go and we're going to chain you back to this bed. Sometimes Dee Dee would feed Gypsy through her tooth. Sometimes Dee Dee would forget to feed her daughter. This systematic torture went on for two weeks. I think this moment was some of what uh, was somewhat of an eye opener for Gypsy to understand what was going on and really truly who her mother was was. Ruffling Dee Dee's feathers at this point wasn't wise, but her desire for freedom was growing deep inside. And eventually, Gypsy was going to do whatever it took to have a taste of that, even if it meant that her mother had to die. The reach of a mother is endless, especially when it comes to their child and the health of that child. For Gypsy, it wasn't until she wanted the life of those around her, those her age, friends, a lover, marriage, children, a family of her own, that would fuel what was inside of Gypsy all along. Torture. The only word that could describe the endless onslaught of medical tests procedures, and medication that became the norm for Gypsy Rose Blanchard. The thought of getting away from it all, doing something more to give her a better quality, was the easiest option Gypsy could come up with. But her mother wasn't going to give up. The one thing that gave her everything she wanted, but never truly had to work for. For 48 years, Dee Dee was accustomed to getting what she wanted, when she wanted it. But something shifted in Dee Dee, maybe the loss of the man that she married, or the crumbling realization that her mother was gone, possibly at her hand. And the attention was on Gypsy, her daughter, not her. The only way to redirect that attention was through the ailments Gypsy had. 
Lie after lie was spouted without the bat of an eye. Never given anyone a reason to question her. She manipulated healthcare workers into helping her abuse her only child. She watched as her daughter would crumble under the weight of it all, only to be her saving grace, all in the same breath. What Dee Dee never imagined was her daughter was going to fight back, and she was possibly stronger than Dee Dee gave her credit for. I want to thank you all for joining me tonight. In the world we live in, Munchausen syndrome by proxy is one of the leading fascinations in the world of psychology. As a parent, we are programmed to do anything and everything to protect the children we bear. But some lack the know-how, and others have their wires crossed, and instead of protecting their young, they are the very ones to push them to the brink. Sometimes, the children are not strong enough to keep them going over the edge. Next week, we take this case to the point that it became national news when something we thought was, really wasn't. As always, I leave you with one last line. You can take away innocence, but you can never take away the spirit to survive. Much love, the true crime librarian.